Welcome to the Jazz Notes Podcast. I'm Ben Anderson. I'm Chandler Holtz. We're recording this on Tuesday, January 16th, as the Utah Jazz are 4-0 in their last week. Uh, and it feels like we're starting to say that a lot. The Jazz are winning a lot of games. They beat the Denver Nuggets. They beat the Toronto Raptors. They beat the Los Angeles Lakers. And last night, they beat the Indiana Pacers. We will talk about the wins. We will look at the week ahead. A couple of huge games at home coming up, and then a uh, big game for the standings on the road on Saturday against Houston. So we'll talk about those. Some of the news of the week. Uh, we'll hand out our midseason awards. The Jazz are uh, 42 games into the 82-game season, so we can look at who would be the award winners for the Jazz so far this year. We'll give our grades, and, of course, we'll answer your mailbag questions as we do every podcast. Find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Find Chandler at Chandler Holt KSL. And, of course, read us at kslsports.com. Subscribe at KSL Sports, all of your social media, X, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. When I'm missing any threads, find them at KSL Sports. Uh, all right. Jazz go 4-0. What did we predict last week? Did we predict 3-1? and I think we did predict 3-1. and uh, And you know what? If I were to go back and do it again, I probably would have said the same thing. But they beat a fully healthy Denver Nuggets team here in Salt Lake City, 124-111. They crushed the Raptors, 145-113. Made some of those new players in uh, Toronto look very bad. Tough game against the Lakers. Yeah. Uh, maybe not totally unexpected. They're, they were playing without LeBron James. You knew that some of their guys were going to come out hungry and try and play well. And D'Angelo Russell was that player. On Saturday, uh, and then last night, they kind of just let Indiana hang around in the first half, put a little pressure on them late in the second quarter. The lead was 14 at the half, and then jumped up to 24, and it basically wasn't a game the rest of the way. Yeah, there's a common theme uh, last week as well. In every game but the Lakers game, the Jazz shot above 55% from the field. And earlier in the season, there was a lot of 35% games from the field, and the Jazz would get blown out. When you're hitting shots, you're going to win. And against LA, they only only shot 45%. That's yeah. still pretty good. Um but it was the little things in that game. They had less turnovers, more rebounds, and more offensive rebounds. And this is not a real stat, but it feels like they were the first team to shoot more free throws against the Lakers. Um, they had 15 more free throws, in fact. And so. then, then they were down 8-16 to 16 at the half. The Lakers had shot double the number of free throws the Jazz had, and then the Jazz bounced back and like tripled them in the yeah. second <laughs> half. So uh, that was very lopsided, and that's one of the big reasons why the Jazz won the game. Uh, the theme I am seeing is just huge scoring outputs. Yes. 124 points against Denver, 145 against Toronto, 132 in back-to-back games against L.A. and Indiana. Those are just enormous numbers. Not a lot of teams are capable of doing that every night. But right now, Will Hardy's system is really, really cooking, really working, and the Jazz are taking advantage of it. And uh, every other team just feels like the sacrificial lamb right now. Uh, Jazz have the second-best offense in the NBA over the last week, at 129.4, trailing only the Clippers. Uh, and I think... The Jazz are the only 4-0 team over the last week. So, yeah. Or no, the Cleveland Cavaliers also went 4-0, uh, but their offensive rating was low. They were 20th, so uh, really cranking it up on the defensive side of the ball. On the flip side, the Jazz defense was not great mm, over the last true. week. Uh, 120 points per game actually ranks... Let's see, where are the Jazz over their last four? Uh, ninth. Oh, excuse me. They were 111th. 111 points. Uh, so, not terrible, but uh, ninth. They had been better defensively than they had offensively early in the stretch, and I think that has flipped. We're seeing a team that is playing better offensively than they are defensively, and that, I think, led to what Will Hardy said after the game yesterday, where he still sees pockets where the team is letting up. He sees them kind of taking advantage of just being good and just like defaulting to isolation or not getting back in defense and not getting out to close out on three-point shooters because they just assume they're going to win games, and at some point that will bite you. You have to 
continue to keep those things tight throughout the year. Yeah, and I think that for a lot of teams in the NBA, there are a single thing that they rely on in order to get wins. Like the Lakers, for example, they need a really good game from LeBron and Anthony Davis. But with the Jazz, they have a bunch of other smaller things that they can rely on in order to get these wins. Against Denver, nearly 75% of their shots were assisted on. If you're passing the ball and moving it that well, you're probably going to win. And then against Toronto, win by almost, uh, or no, sorry, do win by 30, win by 32, and they out-rebounded them 56-31. to 31. Yeah. So... When you're out-rebounding, when you're passing the ball around, getting assists on every shot, it's just good basketball right now in Utah. Yep, they're playing really well. That's why they're the hottest team in the NBA, and they've got the best record since Christmas, and they're just cooking, and they've been really fun to watch. And that's the other aspect of it uh, that I think Jazz fans are totally circled back around. All right, that was the week that was for the Utah Jazz. Uh, Weekly news, Larry Markkinen's named uh, Player of the Week. First time in his career. Actually, the first time a a Jazz player's done it since Donovan Mitchell in like 2021. I think, no, 2022, December of 2022, I wrote that. So uh, that's a while. Yeah. But, you know, the Jazz weren't very good last year, and the team doesn't win games. And Will Hardy mentioned, you know, that's a team award. You you don't get it if your team goes 1-3 and three yep. every week, and the Jazz were doing that early in the season. So you go 4-0, and oh, you're going to get recognition. And Larry Markin is the best player on the Jazz. I was about to say, even though it's just a player of the week, it is nice to get some recognition when you're playing like one of the best teams in the NBA right now. Uh, this week, coming up ahead for the Utah Jazz, they're going to take on the Golden State Warriors on Wednesday. Very tough back-to-back. Next night, they host the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are one of the best teams in the NBA. And then Saturday, they take on the Houston Rockets in Houston. The Jazz have actually leaped Houston in the uh, playoff standings right now. Houston is really good at home and terrible on the road, so this is going to be a tough game because yeah. you're playing them in Houston. I think that this is going to be a really big week for the standings. Um, OKC game, that's not a lot going on. OKC is near the top of the West. But for Golden State and Houston, those are two teams that are sort of hovering around where the Jazz are in the standings right now. So if you can get an advantage over them in the season series, maybe that can prove to be very important. Down you know what's amazing? The Jazz are three games ahead of the, the Warriors all of a sudden in the standings. Like, if for a while, the Jazz were like right there. It's like, can they overtake them? Can they overtake them? Can they overtake them? And it's like, not have, only have they overtaken them, three games back is further than the Jazz are behind the fifth seed in the West. Yes. Like, the Warriors are farther from catching the Jazz than the Jazz are from catching the Kings and the Mavericks and facing the Clippers in a first-round playoff matchup. So uh, that's how bad the Warriors have been, and they are really struggling. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. They did get Draymond Green back, but they lost to the Memphis Grizzlies yeah. <laughs> like after getting Draymond back. It's just going to take a little while. They're going to present a tough challenge. Yes. Because they are still, teams still look at coming into Utah as an opportunity to get a win. Yeah. Teams are still going to be licking their chops to beat the Jazz because they see a Jazz team that struggled at the beginning of the year. And not everyone believes that the Jazz are this juggernaut that it seems like they've turned into recently. And I don't know how authentic or inauthentic it is, how long the stretch will last for the Jazz. But I think teams come in geared up thinking they're going to get a win versus. You know, if Golden State right now were to roll into OKC or roll into Denver or roll into Minnesota, they may chalk it up as a loss before they even play. Yeah. Um, and going on with what you said, even though like they're closer to the 6th seed than uh, Golden State and the 12th seed, they're also closer to the 8th seeded Phoenix Suns than falling back to 10th where the Lakers are, even though it's only a game and a half. Also, the Jazz have the longest win streak in the NBA right now. So how long? That's a good question, actually. I, I agree with you that as it stands right now, teams may be looking at the Jazz as a chance to pick up a win. Um what would their record have to turn into in order for it to maybe move into the upper echelon of, okay, we have to take this game seriously? Yeah, I think probably got to get five or six games above 500, okay. in all honesty. Otherwise, yeah. you're still looking at a team that 
you may perceive as more flawed than they actually yeah. are. And and this sample size of the Jazz just needs to continue to grow. True. We really are only a month and three days into this this run for the Jazz. December 13th is when this all started. Lowry Markkinen comes back from injury. They kind of figure out the starting lineup, and they take off. And that's why you know they went from being nine games under 500 to two games above in a month. That's crazy. Yes. That's a r- ridiculous turnaround. Uh, but I do think a lot of people still think this is a hot streak and not necessarily the sustainable streak for the Utah Jazz. And then I think the big question is, what does Danny Ainge think? Yes. What does Justin Zanuck think? Do they feel like this is a hot streak, or do they feel like this is what the Utah Jazz look like? Uh, but yeah, can you overtake the Suns? Suns have the toughest schedule remaining in the NBA. The Utah Jazz were near the top of that for so long, but now the Jazz have uh, dropped to seventh. They have the seventh toughest schedule remaining uh, because they still have to play Boston. They play Minnesota twice. They still have to play the Bucks. But Boston's here. Milwaukee's here. you got to play OKC three times. That's good. You know what the one thing the Jazz do have an advantage of for the rest of the year? They and the Chicago Bulls have played the most games in the NBA this season. Now, it's not crazy, yeah. but you are talking about making up three games. Some of these teams still have 43 left. The Jazz only have 40 left. you got to figure out a way to fit those three games in. And honestly, those end up coming on like back-to-backs. Yep. That ends up playing four games in five nights or three games in four nights. Uh, and we've seen the Jazz do that a lot lately. Ideally, you'll start getting a couple of these spots now where there's you know two nights off in between games where... For a long time now, it's felt like the Jazz are playing every other night or back-to-back or three and four, like I said. So that 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 little stretch is going to help. You yep. know, that little stretch of, uh, especially now when you do have back-to-back games at home coming up, you're going to be way ahead of everybody else. You might be in a spot where some of these teams have five more games to play over the final five months of the season, which, again, doesn't seem like that much. But when you're trying to fit it into an NBA schedule, it gets really hectic. So the Jazz might get some rest advantage uh, coming up here. And, you know, you play OKC uh that's going to help lower your strength of schedule remaining as well. So you're hoping to catch Phoenix. I think you're going to have a good opportunity to do it. Yeah. Uh, one more thing to point out while we're looking ahead a little bit. Um, at the end of the week when they go into Houston, that is the start of a six-game road trip. And granted, on this road trip, there's New Orleans, Brooklyn, and New York who you've already beaten this season. And then the other two games are Washington and Charlotte. So a lot of very winnable games. But the Jazz are still 7-15 and 15 on the road this season. So it will be a test to see if they can keep up the hot streak. Uh, but nice. You play Saturday, and then you have Sunday and Monday off. So yep. again, they've got these uh, little mini stretches. And between Houston and New Orleans, I honestly wonder if the Jazz are going to come home. They might fly back home to Salt Lake after Houston, spend Sunday here, practice Monday, and then fly out Monday night. Yeah. That way, the six-game road trip doesn't feel like you're on the road from Saturday. I guess you'd fly out Friday the 19th and then come back Tuesday night the 30th. I mean, that's 12 days yeah. on the road. If you can uh, avoid that, they might try and do it. So, uh, yeah, some winnable games coming up on that trip. We'll obviously address it coming up next week as they, they further dive into it. But what do we think? Golden State, OKC? At Houston this week, I think you go two and one. You're very happy. I agree. Two and one, most likely loss coming to OKC. Yeah, second night of a back to back is going to be very tough. Uh, you fall below that one and two, and then you start to maybe get a little bit of doubt because you're then hovering back around 500, and you're going into that tough road trip where New Orleans is playing as well as anybody right now. Knicks are pretty good. Yeah. Otherwise, I think there's some winnable games there. Definitely. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we will uh, give out our weekly jazz grades. We will give out our uh, midseason awards, and we'll address your mailbag questions. Stick around. More jazz notes coming up next. All right, welcome back to the Jazz Notes Podcast. Ben Anderson, Chandler Holt. All right, Chandler, let's get into our midseason awards. The Jazz have played 42 games so far. Uh, we did these before the season started. Do you want to recap what we thought before the season and then uh, 
we can uh, get into what we would do with the midway point? Yes, definitely. So, uh, first up, we agreed that Markkinen is going to be the Jazz's MVP this year. Uh, for Defensive Player of the Year, um, I had... Sorry, you had Chris Dunn and I had Walker Kessler. We both agreed on Rookie of the Year being Keontae George. For Most Improved, you had Ochai and I had Colin Sexton. Sixth Man of the Year, you had Olenek and I had Colin Sexton again. And then for Clutch Player of the Year, you had Markinen and I had Jordan Clarkson. All right. Uh, I think I was wrong on some of mine very clearly, yeah. but we can both <laughs> say well. MVP, Larry Markinen. Yes, easily. Um, no, no question. This uh, He's the team leader in points and rebounds, 24-8.8, and then he sparked the Jazz's recent success when he returned from his injury. Uh, he's playing better now than I've ever seen him play. He really is embracing the idea of if I have the ball, I can attack whoever I'm dribbling, or I can dribble a... a attack with the dribble whoever I'm playing against excuse me yeah. whether that was you know Christian Brown with the Nuggets who's small and a pretty quick defender or Miles Turner last night with the Pacers he's just like well I have a mismatch against basically everybody if you're too little I'm going to push you out of the way and if you're too big I'm going to dribble around you uh, and he's doing that and that is totally changed the way he's playing he's also you know kind of rebounding and going and trying to start the, the the fast break by himself more than I've ever seen him do that so he's playing extraordinarily well right now uh, so no question MVP yeah for the Jazz, and has uh, probably thrown his name into the top 20 players in the uh, in the world conversation, Definitely. which is a huge sign. The Jazz needed that, and he's done it. Uh, next up, Defensive Player of the Year. Um, I, I have Walker Kessler here. He's had an up-and-down season. He's started some games. He's come off the bench as of late. But despite that, he's still third in the NBA in blocks at 2.6. And also, during the Jazz's recent success, he's had a tremendous plus-minus. Yeah, no question about it. Walker Kessler's been the Jazz's best defensive player. He does set a tone there. Uh, Chris Dunn and Colin Sexton have both really helped in the starting lineup, but individually, Jazz best player, all the advanced stats will show it that like he's been dominant defensively at the rim again, which is getting back to where he was last year, which is a good sign because he really was a little slow to start the season. You thought, oh, has he lost a step? Like, was that just a fluke that teams weren't ready for him, and and now he's, you know, been caught up to and is not going to be as effective as he once was? No, he's been uh, extraordinarily good. Uh, next one, this is probably the last. Uh one that doesn't have much of a, uh, much of a debate. Rookie of the year, Keontae George. Uh, for me, at least, right now, he's averaging 11, 3, 4 and a half. I was looking at him compared to the uh, other guards in the draft class. By far the best guard in the draft class as of right now. Scoot Henderson has picked it up as of late. Had some big games he lately. Has, yes. Uh, he has a slightly better counting stats, basically like .5 more in a few categories. Uh-huh. Um, but I think when it comes to contributing to winning basketball, Keontae George has the edge there. Yeah, he's playing good basketball on a winning team and has a real spot in the rotation. Now, he does not shoot the ball all that well still, but uh, he's playing on a good team and yep. is a part of the reason why the Jazz win some games. He is... He is absolutely been the difference maker in some games for the Jazz, and I'm not sure I expected that from any of the rookies this year. Uh, so very happy if you're a Jazz fan that Keontae has played well and has continued to play well. Started, pulled out of the starting lineup, still has a very good uh, uh, a very good outlook on the team. I talked to him about it last night after the game. He's just, he's glowing. He's, yeah. he's very happy to be in his role, even if he's not starting now. Um, something interesting, I was looking at stats for Clutch Player of the Year, which we'll talk about um, in a little bit, and Keontae George actually has the highest usage rate in the clutch of anyone on the Jazz. And so, I, that is a stat that's sort of four guards. If you have the ball in your hand, you're going to have a higher usage rate. But I thought that that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, do, do you want to get the clutch player of the year, or do you want to wait and do that uh, last? We can we can hop over to a clutch player. All right, who do you have? I had Jordan Clarkson. Um, he has 10 games played in the clutch this year, a team-high 133.7 offensive rating, the, a team-high assist-to-turnover ratio, 3.5, which is funny because he's actually had a lot of really high turnover games this year, but in the clutch, he's better. And then a 58 effective field goal percentage. Uh, kind of interesting here because all of a sudden, when the Jazz have been good, which is recently, there's no clutch games. Yeah. I mean, the Jazz, I found this stat yesterday, the Jazz... In, since December 13th, again, when the streak started, the Jazz have had more games decided by 30 or more than they have five or less. Wow. And that, you know, clutch game is, what, five points in the last two minutes, yep. right? Jazz just aren't in these close games at all. The only, and, in fact, the only game that was a clutch game was the first win here was against the New York Knicks that they beat them by four. Otherwise, none of these games are all that close. Yep. So uh, when they've been good, I haven't had to focus all that much on the clutch player. Give me, Let me give you a dark horse and say it is Keontae George. A, his usage is really high, yep. but uh, his shooting percentages just in the fourth quarter in general have been a lot better than they were uh, previously in the season. He's at 45% from the floor, 42% from three, and has had some very big games, including you know Miami yes. on New Year's Eve, or I guess it was the 30th, yep. uh, December 30th. He was great. He just had some really nice moments where when the, the lights are shining their brightest, he really seems to dig in. He really seems to focus very well. Uh, otherwise, you know, Colin Sexton's shooting great in the fourth quarter as well. 55% from the floor, 41% from three, 89% from the free throw line. So uh, Colin's been very good in fourth quarters as well. And again, I know that's not exactly what the clutch stats are, but you're putting yourself in a spot where you're not in a clutch stat. Yeah. And that's, that's the best thing you can do. The fewer clutch games you play, the better you are as a roster. Uh, next up, six man of the year. This one could have a little bit of a debate, but I think we're going to agree. I have Kelly Olenek. Kelly Olenek. No question about it. Yes, he's averaging eight, five, uh, four and a half. And he's just had a lot of really good moments. He comes in and he's very consistent every time. So. Now, by the end of the year, I think there's a real chance it's Jordan Clarkson's again. Yes. Because Jordan, since moving back to the bench, has been the Jazz best player in the second year. Actually, you know what? It might be Walker Kessler. True. Walker is the reason why all these plus-minus stats are so good for everybody. Yeah. So maybe Walker. But by the end of the year, I don't think it'll be Kelly Olenek. How about that? Okay, That's I like what that. That's say. Uh, next but it up. has been Kelly through the first 42 games. Most improved player uh, before the year. I said Colin Sexton, and I'm sticking with Colin Sexton as of right now. Uh, he is averaging 17 and four for the season. Over the last 14 games, he's averaging 20 and five. Um, and here's here's my comparison for him. Last season, and even early this season, watching Colin Sexton was like watching the Tasmanian Devil. Yeah. Right. But over the last month, two months, I feel like it's been more of a controlled chaos. Yep. And the intensity and speed that he brings, I think, really benefits the Jazz roster. The first time I asked Will Hardy about Colin Sexton, he said he's a maniac. <laughs> and I think that's exactly right. And that's still how I see him. He's a maniac. But it's about getting that maniac to bounce off the walls instead of just going every direction. And he's going in the right direction. He still bounces off the walls. But that type of energy is good. You can have maniacs and win games. Yes. Draymond Green is a winner. He's a maniac. Dennis Rodman was a winner. He was a maniac. There are maniacs who win. And uh, Colin Sexton is showing to you that he can win right now. I had Ochai Abaji, obviously. Ochai has not been the Jazz most improved player. In fact, he's averaging fewer points this year than he was last year, despite his minutes being nearly identical. His Field goal percentage is higher. His three-point shooting percentage is down. His effective field goal percentage is almost identical to where it was last year. His assists are almost identical. Rebounds are almost identical. He's, I don't want to say least improved, because actually I would say that's probably Taylor Horton Tucker. He did not get better this year. Yeah. He needed to from year 20, age 22 to age 23. But uh, Ochai has not taken the leap. And I wouldn't write him off as ever being able to do it or never being able to do it. But uh, did not. he's certainly not in the running for most improved. I would say that is Colin. Yeah, yeah I think Colin deserves that. All right, you want to do jazz grades? Let's do it. 
Uh, we like to look back at the last week specifically when we're doing these grades, and we certainly factor in kind of year-round and where they are because it all impacts one another. But we really try and look at the last week when we grade the Jazz veterans, the Jazz rookies, where they are in the standings, and then whether or not they've been any fun to watch. Uh, veterans, what do you think? Um, first, before we get into this, we might be having our first set of straight A's. Okay. It's going to be close. It's going to be close, I think. But for veterans, um, Markinen, of course, has been great. He's been a a big reason, if not the biggest reason, that the Jazz went 4-0 last week. Um, he put up 26, 22, uh, 29, and I think he had a 30-piece. He has 32 last night against the Indiana Pacers. And then you have Jordan Clarkson playing extremely well off the bench. Kelly Olenek is as consistent as ever. And then... You have other guys. Simone Fontecchio, he goes with the young guys, actually, but Colin Sexton. Colin Sexton has been great as well. I'm going to go with an A-minus for the veterans. Uh, Colin Sexton is shooting 60% from the floor, well, 59% from the floor, 62% from three, and 96% from the free throw line. <laughs> so his shooting splits are 60-63-96, which I've never heard of over a four-game stretch. And he doesn't have the best plus-minus on the team. That belongs to Lowry, who is averaging 27-10, and 10, uh, and he's shooting 56-52-95. and 95, yeah. And he's not the Jazz best shooter. 56, 52, 95, and he's not been the best shooter on the team because Collins has been out of his mind. Jordan's playing great. John Collins is actually playing really well as well. He's shooting 60% from the floor and 45% from three. Uh, Kelly Olenek continues to play well, as you mentioned. Yeah, A, A, A plus. A. Yeah, yeah. It's as good as you can get. Um, next up, young guys. Um, Keontae George has been playing well off the bench. Simone Fontecchio in the starting lineup has been kind of slow. He had a slower week. Um, I think his best game came against the Raptors when he had 13 points, 5 for 9, 3 for 5 from 3. Um, and then Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler's been playing great as well. I think I agree with you. I think veterans should be A or A+, plus, and then we can put the young guys at an A-. minus. Uh, I think A- minus is probably right. Keontae George, shooting percentages still aren't great. 41% from the floor. Only 28% from 3, including getting hot in the fourth quarter last night in garbage time. Yep. Uh, but is embracing his role well. Uh, but shout out to uh, Bryce Sensabaugh, who did score his first NBA bucket. Yes. Uh, he made two appearances, actually, uh, but got that uh, little nifty layup and then hit a three. So uh, that, that'll give him a slight boost. So they could have been a B plus. I'll give Sensabaugh scoring, bump him up to an A minus. And you know what? I, I tweeted it out. The pass that you saw from uh, Taylor Hendricks that he made from the perimeter to find Luka Shamanich sitting under the, under the rim was the most impressive play I saw from any of the rookies uh, this week. He could pass at Central Florida, but he only ever really caught the ball in the paint. And then he made some quick reads of like little shovel passes to guys who were cutting. I thought, there's something there. But to catch the ball at the perimeter and find a big man underneath the hoop, just like bang, bang play, that caught my eye. I thought that was a really important play because if, and we'll address some of this in the mailbag, the expectation is that he's going to some big day take over for Kelly Olynyk. Well, he's going to have to be able to pass the ball. And he showed at least a knack and a feel for, hey, if I've got two guys here on me, and I think they were playing zone, then someone's going to be open, and he found him exactly in stride. That was really impressive. So, yeah, A-. minus. Uh, next up, standings. Uh, for the first time, yeah, A, about no, to say. Uh, for no the question. first time since we've done Jazz grades, they're in the playoff picture. They're in the ninth seed, and like you said, they're closer to the sixth seed than they are to the 12th seed. So, yeah, A. A. 4-0, um, beat good teams. So, I mean, beat Denver. That yep. was you know what, what we, I think we're all looking at as one of the tougher games of the season. So, A, no question about it. And then fun factor, A. A again. Yep. Yeah, it's been a really fun week of jazz basketball. So I think outside of the, the rookies, A-, minus, it was straight A's across yes. the board, and, and you'll take an A- minus from your rookies. That's absolutely pretty good still. <laughs> so yeah, uh, a great opportunity for the Jazz uh, to continue to build this week as well, and could be talking about more A's if they can win uh, 3-0 and and continue this hot play. Those shooting numbers are crazy. That's going to drop off. Yes. Concepts <laughs> is not going to shoot 65% from three for the rest of his career. All right, let's do uh, the Jazz mailbag. Anything yes. else we need to address first? No, I don't think so. All right, let's do it. All right, uh, first up from Alex. Um, if you're the Jazz, which is better? 
keep Olenek for the year, let him leave for nothing, but you convey the first to Oklahoma City, or package Olenek and whoever for a late first, let Hendricks play and risk not conveying the pick? Uh, I guess if those are my only options, I would say you want to convey the pick. I really do. I think you're in a spot right now where that picks. If you continue to play this well, that pick that conveys to Oklahoma City, which is top 10 predict protected via the Derek Favors trade a couple of years ago. It's going to be in like 16 or 17. And just by all accounts, this is a terrible draft. And that doesn't mean OKC couldn't find a good player that you wish you had, but there's not like this dynamite name right now where you're like, oh, you got to have that guy. So you got to, you know, you wish you had a draft pick this year. Uh, so I think that would probably be the ideal situation. But you might be able to have your cake and eat it too, which is don't trade Kelly. You still can find opportunities for Taylor Hendricks to play, if not this season, next year. And then maybe even resign. Olenek in the offseason because it's not like he's going to get $50 million, I don't think. He's going to get a decent contract, but you can afford it. I mean, Taylor Horton Tucker's going to come off the books. Either you buy him out or he comes off the book at the end of the year. You have $12 million that you already pay Kelly. You can find another ten to split up amongst your guys that you want to pay. And again, Kelly at his best is playing 15 minutes somewhere. No one's going to give Kelly Olenek $20 million to play 15 minutes. So... Maybe you keep Kelly. His trade value doesn't go down because he continues to be the same player. He's not on an expiring contract, which actually is probably a good thing for Kelly. You're talking about signing a two-year deal, maybe a three-year deal. Uh, so a team will always be willing to take that on. So maybe the best situation is convey the pick, keep Kelly, and assign him, uh, assign him to an extension this offseason. Uh, that might be the goal for the Utah Jazz. Or if someone wants to come and blow you away with a first-round pick, offer for Kelly, you say fine. Yeah, yeah okay. That's better than what Kelly's going to give you the rest of the way, especially if it's like a decent first-round pick and not, you know, the 30th overall pick in the upcoming draft. The Celtics first-rounder probably doesn't matter all that much. But uh, if you could get something that has, you know, somewhat loose protections a couple of years down the line, yeah, you'd absolutely take it. Uh, next up from Glenn Anderson, this one sort of goes in with what we just said, so I just want to address it. He said, would you make a trade to get Hendricks playing time, trade Olenek or Collins, knowing the move could cost you a few wins, or ride with what we have? I think you right now can continue to ride with what you have, yes. and I think you're getting plenty of development for uh, Taylor Hendricks in the G League. He just, I, I get it. That playing in the NBA is different. Like The guys are bigger. They're faster. You're learning things in a way that you would not learn in the in the G League. There is a difference there. I'm not pretending that they're the same at all. Like, you don't need Taylor Hendricks right now. You just don't. And, and, like, you don't need him next year for you to reach your potential. Ideally, a couple of years from now, he's really good and steps in and is able to play right away. And if he's able to take over for Kelly Olenek, great. But, like, him being on your roster this season does not up your ceiling. Three or four years from now, he could. But I, I don't think what happens over the next 40 games for the Utah Jazz and Taylor Hendricks changes your likelihood of winning a championship in 2026 or 2027 when the Jazz are hoping to do it. These 30 games aren't, 40 games aren't going to make the difference. Uh, next up from uh, Cam Young. Can slash should we extend guys like Chris Dunn and Simone Fontecchio during this season? So honestly, these extension rules seem to change every CBA and I have a hard time keeping up with them. So I just Googled who is extension eligible and I don't see Chris Dunn on this list. I know Kelly Olynyk though, looks like he is extension eligible. And just according to Hoops Hype, who usually does pretty good work, uh, says that he is eligible for contract extension between July 6, 2023 and uh, June 30th, 2024. So we are in that window. I guess that means he probably is extension eligible. He may want to test free agency yeah. because he's playing really well and shooting really well. In fact, I think some of the times when you see him pump fake jump shots, you're seeing him think about his upcoming contract because he's like, well, if I hurt my shooting percentage, that's only going to cost me money. And guys do that. I watched Kyle Korver do it here in Utah as well. Um, but if the Jazz want to give him a good offer and he wants to extend, 
I think you would take it. But I honestly, some of these windows, I'm I'm not CBA guy, yeah. so I'm just going to tell you the truth. Uh, some of those may have closed. I don't see Chris down on any extension list, and it might have just been because his contract wasn't long enough when the Jazz signed him and didn't have enough guarantees that he's extension eligible. Uh, I think you very heavily look at bringing both Kelly and Chris Dunn back next season if they're both on the roster through the trade deadline. What about Simone Fontecchio? Is he up for an extension? Uh, let me see if Simone's on here. He might not be because he's not technically a veteran extension mm-hmm. because he was a rookie last year. Okay. So guys who are on veteran deals that are two years or longer you can extend, a yeah. la Kelly Olynyk. But guys who are rookies coming in, like Simone was, I don't see him on any of these lists as okay. far as being uh, a- a- extension eligible either. Awesome. Next up from Miles Newby, uh, do you think the Jazz will try to trade Olenek or THT? Uh, I think THT, clearly they've worked something out. There's a reason he's not playing at all right now. And yeah. does still have a seemingly rosy outlook. He's you know still being a good guy in the locker room and seems to be happy to be on the bench, and the Jazz haven't told him to stay home or anything. So he's not a negative right now, but he's not getting in even in 30-point blowouts late. So yeah. I think the Jazz have been like, hey, you're not going to play. We're either going to trade you or buy you out, or whatever is going to happen. We're going to try and find a better situation for you. So something's going on there, and they will just wait till the trade deadline, which is three weeks yes. away now, to see if someone wants to offer something for him. And if nobody does, maybe they just let him go. Uh, Mr. Bogeyman also has a question about THT. Obviously wasn't fitting in with the Jazz roster and style of play. He is skilled. Is there a market for him, or will he possibly just be cut from the roster? I would look at like Portland, maybe a team like that, that yeah. says, hey, let's audition a guy who's young enough, and I don't know. Do you know? Does Portland have a glut of second round draft picks that they just don't care about and are just like, well, yeah, we don't need four second round draft picks, and we will take on Taylor Horton Tucker for a, a, a sample and just see if he can do something for us for the last thirty games of the season. Maybe that's a guy we want to stick with. That's the only situation I see it really making sense. You know, Toronto. Washington, Detroit, some of these teams that are not very good this year that may want to audition somebody and have too many second-round picks that they don't care about. But honestly, like, I would just wait and see if he gets bought out. I would never offer anything, see if he, he hits the waivers and claim him off waivers. Most of those teams are under the under the cap, too, and can just claim somebody off waivers. So that's what I would keep an eye on, and I would be surprised if that ends up being what happens. All right, two more questions. Uh, next up from the Gray Bambus. Um, what do you think is lacking from this team in terms of what they will need for playoff play? Experience, ISO playmaking, et cetera. Yeah, we just, some of it's you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So some teams get to the playoffs. Like the Kings were, you know, world beaters last year. Weren't they the, they have the third best record in the NBA? Yeah. And then you go up against a team like Golden State who just has so much corporate knowledge of how to win games. And they just, you know, it, it went to seven games, but still. You lost, and now all of a sudden, this year, the Kings look pretty mediocre. I mean, they're pretty mm-hmm. average. They're good. They're not great. Uh, and I don't know if they're going to win a playoff series again. You start to realize, like, okay, well, they're lacking here, and they're lacking here, and they're lacking here. But you needed a loss to the Warriors last year and a larger sample size to see what they don't have. Uh, but I would say the Jazz still lack some defensive versatility as far as, you know, 3 and D, six foot six, six foot eight guys who can defend multiple positions. They just... Ochai hasn't turned into that guy quite yet. Maybe he does one day. Or Taylor Hendricks turns into that guy. But they're not there yet. So I would say that's still a big piece of the puzzle for the Jazz that they don't have. But I think their backcourt's really deep. I think you like the backcourt that you have. I mean, I think Chris Dunn is capable of playing in big games. I've seen Jordan Clarkson play in a bunch of playoff games. We'll see if Colin Sexton can. We'll see if Lowry Markinen can. Like, those are all things we just don't know yet. Uh but they don't. They also don't have a second star. You know, yeah. that's another thing. You know, playoff teams have two stars. They they always do, uh, and the Jazz don't have that right now. Uh, next, uh, lastly, two part question from Josh Chisholm: um, Do you think Keontae defers too much to Jordan Clarkson at times? Um, no, I think I actually think 
Keontae deferring is a good thing right now. I still mm-hmm. think his ability to get four and five assists off the bench is a really good number for him because he's just not a great shooter. Yeah. He just really does not knock down threes all that well. In fact, sometimes I think his problem is he defers to his three-point shot versus like how good he's been recently drawing contact, getting to the free-throw line, or finishing these and-one opportunities. Like He's finished through contact better over the last two or three weeks than he had at any point you know, early in the season. So I think sometimes he defers just to shooting the ball when he should look for teammates, look to make plays, look to dribble, and uh, make a play there. Uh, so that would be my thought. And you know what? Jordan's playing really well. I'd be yeah. playing out of his mind right now. So I would I would defer to Jordan Clarkson also. So no, I don't think that's been an issue for him. I agree. And I think Keontae shoots a lot of like the hezzy pull-up jump shots from the top of the three-point line. And he's granted, he is one of probably two, him and Jordan Clarkson, who can make that shot r- relatively. Somewhat consistently. Yeah, yeah, somewhat yeah. consistently, exactly. So I think that... If Jordan Clarkson is the one who is going to hit it more, then deferring to him is a good idea. And plus, Jordan Clarkson, um, granted, probably more minutes than Keontae on the year. He is the team leader in assists per game. So I think that that's a good idea. And then lastly, something we have talked about a good amount over the past few weeks. Should the Jazz be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? Uh, So I talked to somebody who would know in this situation. And they basically said two things, which is the Jazz front office is about winning playoff series. They don't you don't trade Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell to t- dip your toe into play in tournaments. Like that's not what the end goal was here and I get why that's like a quick immediate reward for the Jazz this season. But that is not why they are going through what they have gone through over the last 18 months and I certainly promise you Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck have not forgotten that. Like They know why they started this rebuild. It is to win at the highest level. It is to win playoff series. And if the Jazz are not positioned to win playoff series, I actually don't know how married they are to anything that they have. And that could still include Lowry Markkinen. Now, I think Lowry's playing so far out of his mind right now that you would be foolish to trade him for anything less than a Grand Slam superstar package. But if someone comes along with it and says, hey, man, we think we're going to win a title this year. Lowry's the difference maker. Here's Jalen Williams... Davis Bertans, another young player, and four future firsts. It's like, ugh, you got to think about that. Yeah. If the Pelicans come and say, here's Trey Murphy, here's Jordan Hawkins, and here's another whatever, 10 Larry Nance, whatever the, the contract is you have to get to match, uh, and four future firsts, like, okay, you, I guess maybe twist my arm that I have to take all these good young players that, <laughs> and all these future draft picks that the Jazz can continue to like short these other teams and saying, like, eventually you're going to lose and we're going to own your draft pick, and that's going to be really beneficial for us. They're already doing it with Cleveland. They're already doing it with Minnesota, and they've got a pick from the Lakers. So at, at what point do those picks become a little bit redundant? Those are what Danny Ainge has to be asking. At what point is you know Lowry Markin and Colin Sexton are good enough to win you a playoff series? Those are the questions they're going to be asking. But... Unless the Jazz feel like they're going to win, I don't suspect that they would say, no, we're not going to be sellers or no, we're not going to be buyers. Like It will be opportunistic, uh, but they're not going to, and this is this is verbatim what I was told, they know they're not going to tiptoe their way to a championship, yeah. meaning they're not going to fall into a championship accidentally. The Jazz are going to have to kick the door down to win a title in Utah, the same way Toronto had to kick the door down and get Kawhi Leonard to do it. So I think when I hear that and I'm being told that, by somebody who would know, the Jazz are very much keeping their eye on, hey, does somebody randomly come available in the next month? And if they don't, then maybe you are sellers until that guy comes available. And yeah, you keep Lowry and you keep calling, but everyone else is still available. So when Luka does hit the trade market or Giannis hits the trade market, again, all these names we've kind of talked about all year that can win you a title next to Lowry Markinen, 
you're ready to make the trade. Yep. So I still think the Jazz would not avoid putting themselves in that position to do it if they, if that's where they get to. But I don't think they're going to do like these weird like mid-level buys. I don't see that. I don't see them going out and being like, let's go get DeAndre Hunter from the Atlanta Hawks because he's like a little bit of a difference maker. He's a little bit better maybe than Simone Fontecchio. I would be surprised if the Jazz gave up an asset to do that. But yeah, if someone comes with a good deal for Kelly or Jordan or whatever, I think the Jazz could still have conversations. If they don't feel like they're going to win a playoff series. Something interesting, my own question here. What do you think about DeJounte Murray? He's been in a lot of trade talks as of late. I think that he's someone who, if you can extend him, he's shown that he can be a two-guard next to a ball handler and Trey Young. Uh, how do you think he would fit maybe See, next I wonder to- if he can. I think he might be a point guard. Yeah. And I think that might be the problem right now with the Hawks is that he is trying to be a two-guard. It's like, no, you're a point guard. Yeah. And may- look, he does what Chris Dunn. He just does it what Chris Dunn does, but he does it better. Yeah. Now, He's also paid $25 million a year, and Chris Dunn has paid $2 million. Yeah. Like, okay, does Chris Dunn and $23 million for another asset, is that better than DeJounte Murray? Yeah. And those are the kind of questions you have to ask yourself. So, again, if you could steal DeJounte Murray, if you could have him for nothing, like let's say Chris Dunn or, excuse me, uh, Quinn Snyder was like, hey, I love Jordan Clarkson. He's exactly what we need because I remember coaching him, and I miss him, and I need that guy. And... I'm telling you, Kyle Korver and Landry Fields, I think that's the GM there, uh, trade Jordan Clarkson for DeJounte Murray. It's like, ooh, you probably listen. Yeah. You probably listen. Uh, But, no, I don't think you, like, hunt him. Yes, definitely not. I don't think you, but if you're given, if you're gifted him, sure. Yeah, I'll listen. I'll listen (laughs) to a gift in that situation. So, I think that's where... Yeah, that, things like that could get interesting. I yeah. do think someone's going to put together a real uh, a real trade package yes. for DeJounte. I think uh, the Hawks are going to be movers at the deadline because they are atrocious. They are such a bad basketball team. Thank you guys for tuning into the Jazz Notes podcast, a three-game week upcoming. We predict two and one. Hopefully that can come to fruition. Um, make sure to check us out on all of our social media at KSL Sports, Twitter, Threads, Instagram, and also look out for a mailbag uh, tweet or Threads post from Ben and, and from our KSL Sports account, and you can get in on a mailbag article. Yeah, make sure to uh, subscribe to the newsletter. It comes out every Tuesday. Get some early access to some jazz content, some unique uh, content as well. So find us at Twitter at Ben's Hoops, Chandler Holt, KSL. We'll talk to you again next week.